Good morning. Good morning. It's a beautiful day to worship the Lord. It's always a, a good day to worship the Lord, but not always a beautiful weather day to worship the Lord. So thankful that we uh, seem to be into our nice spring summer season in that sunny warm time. And I uh, hope you all are enjoying it. Well, if you have your Bibles, which you should, if you don't, we have some on the back table. That uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can take that. That's our gift to you. Uh, but turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, or scroll on your phones to Matthew chapter 7, whatever you're using this morning. That's where we'll be today, Matthew chapter 7. How, how well do you think that uh, most people in America know the Bible? More specifically, know what's in the Bible, right? It's probably not a secret that in the West, uh, our cultural knowledge of the Bible has only decreased over time, right? There's been moments where Christianity's had a great influence in culture, where the Bible was even a textbook in schools at times. And even if you weren't a Christian, you'd still be aware of kind of what was in the Bible. But today, our society has become, uh, by and large, biblically illiterate. And that's true even for Christians, right? Uh, Christians uh, today tend to um, read only certain parts of the Bible, or we just use devotionals and we don't read the Bible Bible, right? Only 11% of adults in the U.S. are thought to read the Bible every day, while um, approximately 50% read their Bible once or twice a year, right? Or not at all. And, and as a result, right, people generally do not know what's in the Bible, um, much less know what Christianity actually teaches. One, one of the questions I always love to ask somebody when I'm meeting them for the first time or, or we're having a conversation about religious things or whatever is, what, what do you think the core message of, of Christianity is? And it's always fascinating to hear the answer because it's always wrong, right? It's always be a good person and, and you'll go to heaven, right? And that's not, what, that's not what Christianity teaches. But even though there's this widespread lack of biblical knowledge in, in our day and what's contained in it, uh, there is one particular teaching of Jesus that's become so ingrained, not just in America, but, but even around the world. Most people are familiar with it. If you ask them, do you know this particular teaching, they, they probably will say yes. And that teaching is the golden rule. The golden rule, which is the subject of our text in Matthew this morning as we go through the Sermon on the Mount today. Now, interestingly, it's called the golden rule because um, the emperor Alexander Severus, who was in uh, about the, the 200s right, AD, he was not a Christian, but he was so impressed with this teaching of Jesus that he inscribed it in gold plates and would place it on, on buildings around his empire for the benefit of society. And that's why it was called the Golden Rule. But as we consider this most well-known teaching of Jesus, we'll see that it's far more than just a cliche moral platitude. Really, the Golden Rule is something that should actually drive us to Christ for hope in light of our own shortcomings. Let's read our text. One verse this morning, Matthew 7, verse 12. Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. I'll read it again. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's ask for God's help as we come to his word today. Our Lord, we thank you. For your word, we thank you that you are not a God who has hidden himself or a God who has been silent, but rather a God who has revealed himself and given us that revelation in a way that we can understand in, in the scriptures, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the hands of men. 
but Lord, under your providence, Lord, you choosing every word that would be in this book. An amazing thing to think about, Lord, over thousands of years. Truly, Lord, you've given us a library, not just a book. And as we come to your word today, we pray for your help. Your word is no mere book, but rather, Lord, it is the tool that you use to glorify yourself and to make us more like Christ. So, Father, we pray that that would be done today, that you would be glorified as we read your word, and that we would not just hear what Jesus has to say, but, Lord, that we would do it, and that in doing it, we would see our need for Christ. Please help me, Lord, to be clear, to be faithful to what you have said, and to honor you for the benefit of your people and the glory of your name. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we dive into this one verse, uh, we need to deal with the first word here, so. What is that so doing there? Scholars disagree as to what this so is doing, right? This is a connecting word. This is either connecting to something behind it, right, or something in front. It's connecting two things together, and there's all kinds of debate as far as what Jesus is connecting this to. Is it, is it the whole previous portion of the Sermon on the Mount, right, the previous chapters we've looked at? Is it just verse 11? Well, arguments are made on both sides, uh, but really I think the best way to understand it is it's both. It's both. Right? In one sense, if we recall verse 11, we read that uh, God, our Father, is generous and knows how to give good gifts to us. So that generous benevolence of God towards us as children should affect the way that we interact with others, which is what we see in verse 12. Right? Because God is generous and kind to us, we should be kind and generous to others, right? Makes sense. But at the same time, Jesus has described many aspects of human relationships throughout the Sermon on the Mount so far. He's talked about judging. He's talked about forgiving others. He's talked about anger. He's talked about loving your enemies. All of these things can easily connect to the golden rule. So wherever you land on what the so is connecting to, what we have to agree on is that Jesus is coming to some kind of conclusion based on what he's taught this far. And this conclusion is the golden rule. Now the golden rule, we see it in our text, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Or as it's popularized, how I heard it growing up in my home all the time, right? Treat others how you want to be treated, right? That's another way you could say it. At first, it may not appear very unique, right? Especially if you've studied other religions, uh, you, you may think, well, this actually sounds like what I hear in a lot of other world religions. For example, Buddhism teaches, hurt not others with that which pains yourself. Confucius teaches, uh, do not unto others what you would not do, uh, sorry, do not unto others what you would not they do to you. The rabbis taught, what is hurtful to yourself, do not to your fellow man. Hinduism teaches, do nothing to others which if done to you would cause you pain. Well, it, it may seem at first glance, at first impression, that these are really teaching the same things Jesus is in this verse today. And in fact, this led Norman Rockwell to say, the thing that all major religions have in common is the golden rule. Not always the same words, but the same meaning. And many people today would agree with Norman Rockwell. But neither Norman Rockwell nor many today have paid close attention to what Jesus is actually saying here. Because if you take a closer look, you realize he's saying something far different than what the other religions of the world teach. And it's very interesting because all of those quotes do say the same thing. All the world religions do say the same thing. And then there's Christianity. And as we'll see this morning, it teaches something completely different. 
Jesus' command is not just a negative one. He's not just prohibiting hurtful behavior, which all the examples we just heard are doing. Right? They're saying, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. In other words, uh, if you don't like getting beat up, don't beat up other people. Right? If you don't like getting rear-ended, don't rear-end other people. They're describing withholding harmful behavior from other people. And that's good, right? We, we should take that into account. But Jesus' teaching goes there and then goes beyond that. The teaching of every other religion, again, is akin to if you don't like being hated or mistreated, don't mistreat others. But as D.A. Carson says, this is simply permission to withdraw into a world in which I offend no one but accomplish no positive good either. That's what every other religion in the world teaches. But Jesus' teaching in comparison actually commands us to go beyond withholding harm and to actively seek ways to love others. That's a completely different category. There's a big difference there. Jesus doesn't simply tell us to avoid hurting other people. He tells us to actually do to them as we would want them to do to us. Act towards them in the same way you would want and expect them to treat you. It's pretty easy not to beat somebody up if you don't like being beat up, right? That's, that's, that's fairly simple, right? But it's not nearly as easy to show kindness to a rude person in the grocery store parking lot, right? And of course, you would want others to be kind to you. Much more difficult to do what Jesus is commanding us today. And this requires us to consider the first part of Jesus' teaching. How do I wish other people treated me? How do I want others to act towards me? What do I want them to do to me? Now, we can use our imaginations here a little bit, but I think it's probably safe to say, uh, I'm confident most of you would probably agree, we want other people to treat us kindly. Right? We, we want other people to treat us with respect. We want people to be honest with us. We want people to be considerate, courteous, generous. We want people to treat us with grace when we mess up. Would you agree, right? Is that how you want to be treated? That's how I want to be treated. And I think that we can know that this is how we as humans want to be treated because what happens when we aren't treated that way? We get mad, we get irritated, we complain, we gossip, we get revenge. We want to be treated well, and when we are not, we get mad about it. I think each one of us has a basic standard of how we want others to treat us. And Jesus is saying that's the standard with which you must treat others. Now, there's a couple misconceptions here uh, that we sometimes approach the golden rule with. Maybe, maybe you have one of these floating around your, your mind this morning. So the first misconception people have about the golden rule is that it's transactional. Uh, in other words, um, sometimes people think that the golden rule means I treat others well so that they'll treat me well, right? In other words, I'll, I'll, I'll treat you how I want to be treated so that you'll treat me how I want to be treated, right? There's a transaction there. I'll do this if you do it in return. And that's what we automatically do. That's how we naturally relate with other people. When people are kind to us, much easier to be kind back. When they're not, our first instinct generally is not to continue being kind, right? We have that irritation or that anger that rises up. But Jesus in no way, shape, or form here suggests that the purpose of this command is to manipulate or persuade people to treat us well. That's just not there. There's no escape clause here, right? It's, it's not there. And in fact, approaching the golden rule this way 
is really selfish, isn't it? I'm just going to be kind to you. I'm going to treat you well because really I want to be treated well. It's all about me and what I want from other people. There's simply no conditions like that in this text, though. So we have to be careful not to understand what Jesus is saying that way. The second misconception uh, that people have about the golden rule, um, and, and it's maybe not even a misconception, it's just a genuine problem people have with the golden rule, is that we have to love ourselves first before we can love others. In other words, we have to treat ourselves well before we can treat others well. And, and this is actually a thing out there. Some people call it the reverse golden rule, which says, do unto yourself as you would do unto others, and love yourself as your neighbor, right? In other words, make yourself the priority and the focus. And this is very popular in the, in the self-care movement that's, that's out there right now and in various forms of therapy. And to be honest, why wouldn't it be popular? Right? Why wouldn't it be popular? That's, that's what we want to do, is do unto myself as I would do unto others. Love myself as my neighbor. That sounds great. And while it's important, obviously, to care for our bodies, uh, to see ourselves in light of God's redemptive work, our new identity in Christ, those are elements of caring for ourselves, to be sure, that, that are good. But by reversing the golden rule, what do you get? You get the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. You get the complete opposite. And here's the thing that this misconception misses, right? This reverse golden rule. The issue that you and I have is not that we don't love ourselves enough. That's not the problem that we tend to have, right? And, and even, right, some people struggle with negative thinking. You know, oh, I'm just such a failure, I'm, I'm, right? Which sometimes we think that way. But even when we're thinking that way, that's a form of loving yourself because who are you focused on? You, right? So our natural problem is not loving ourselves too little, but rather exalting ourselves too much. That's our issue. And what Jesus is teaching, uh, is doing here, really what makes it so effective, is it points that out. Jesus is pointing that out here. He, he's saying, okay, if you love yourself so well, then love others to that degree, right? None of us would think of this golden rule, well, I think of myself pretty poorly, so I'm going to treat other people poorly, right? We all know that's not what Jesus is saying here. Our fundamental problem is not low self-esteem, it's self-exaltation. And Jesus is revealing that here. So this command, again, is not to do what you expect others to do, but rather do what you wish, what you desire, ideally how you imagine things to be, right, in a perfect world, how you would want others to treat you. Right, like a king, you know. That's generally how we think about it. So think again, how would you like others to treat you? Think of how you'd like others to speak to you to act towards you, to think about you. And let's ask the question, right? Let's ask the question, do you treat others that way? Do you treat others with the same high standard that you expect them to treat you? Now, Jesus is not teaching that we need to wait for others to treat us well in order to treat them well. It's simply a command without qualification. Treat others, do unto them as you would have them do unto you. Do you do this? And notice one thing also that's missing here. Are there any kinds of qualifiers or conditions on who we're commanded to act this way towards? Is it just our immediate family? Is it just people who don't inconvenience us? Does it just apply to people we agree with politically? 
Does it just apply to people that we like and get along with? No, it applies to every human being we have interaction with. Every single one. The ones that are kind and the ones that are not. The ones that help us, the ones that hurt us. The ones that love us, the ones that hate us. Our friends and our enemies. That raises the bar a little bit, right? Kind of drives home the absoluteness of what Jesus is saying because we can think to ourselves, yeah, I'm pretty good at following the golden rule with like this one person over here who I never have any conflict with whatsoever. But what about the guy who cuts you off on the highway? What about the person that uh, undercuts you at work, right? That gossips about you so you don't get a promotion. What about the person who mocks your faith? What about the person who parks in your favorite parking spot, right? Or even bigger things than that. What about somebody who embezzles from your workplace, right? Who, who steals from you as a business owner. What about somebody who actually tries to physically harm you? Yeah, that, that really, uh, really brings some weight to what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? Because our natural tendency is reciprocation. And we try to justify ways that we can hate other people. That we can treat them poorly. That we can slander them because they're not good people in our eyes. But Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Why would Jesus tell us to do this? Because it, it may not make a whole lot of sense, right? Everybody agrees this is a good moral principle, but not to the point that we actually uh, see it enacted wide scale, right, in society. So why would Jesus command us to do something that really is sort of nonsensical in our dog-eat-dog -dog world? What obligation do we have towards other people to treat them this way, even at our own expense? And Jesus tells us at the end of the verse. And, and uh, it's interesting that this is always the part that gets left off, right, of our understanding of the golden rule, our, our common quotation of it. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. This principle doesn't make a whole lot of sense without that last part, as we'll see in a moment. The Law and the Prophets, this is a blanket term that was used by Jews in Jesus' day to refer to the entire Old Testament in general, right? The Law and the Prophets. Sometimes the Psalms are thrown in there too. But what Jesus says uh, that we are to do unto others as, they would, as we would have them do unto us, he's not saying that we are obeying every Old Testament command. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that this golden rule here summarizes the teaching of the Old Testament in regards to the way that God's people are to act in their human relationships. Right? Jesus is saying that the golden rule summarizes the entire Old Testament's teaching on how God's people are to interact in their human relationships. And we can see this in, in different parts of the Old Testament, of the Old Testament law. And we'll start by looking at the Ten Commandments. Uh, turn to Exodus chapter 20 with me for a moment. Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments are generally divided up into two categories. We call these the two tables of the law. The first uh, table of the law is the first four commandments. And this deals with our relationship with God. Uh, we see that God says, 
There's no other uh, God besides me. Don't take my name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Don't make any graven images. Those are all about man's relationship with God. But as we look at verse 12, which is where the fifth commandment begins, we see the second table of the law. Notice the category here. Notice the theme here. Starting in verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor his wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Well, who do these commands have to do with? Man's relationship with man, with his neighbor, right, with other people. And as we look at these last six commandments, we see that what Jesus says in the Golden Rule in Matthew 7, 12, does summarize these commandments in the negative sense. For example, if you do not like to be stolen from, do not steal from your neighbor, right? If, if you would not like to have somebody bear false witness against you, don't bear false witness against them. But as we discussed earlier, this is only the negative side of the command, right? This isn't the whole picture. It's not the positive aspect. So let's take another text to kind of round this out. Deuteronomy 15, just as an example, Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and 8. Just turn over there briefly. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. The Israelites are getting ready to enter the promised land, and God in the book of Deuteronomy is giving them more laws, uh, additional laws, restating what he's already given them so that they have the proper legal structure in place, the proper societal structure in place for when they get in the promised land. And here's one of the things he commands the people to do. We'll start in verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Let's just take this as an example, right? There's many commands in the Old Testament of this nature. Do this for your fellow man, uh, your, your brother in the land. Now, if you and I were getting ready to enter the, the promised land, right, with Israel that, that day, if you and I were poor and had nothing, wouldn't we be grateful and hopeful that someone might help provide for our needs? Yes, there, there, there was no, you know, state welfare program in those days, right? This, this was it. So according to Matthew 7, 12, we should do the same, right? If we would want someone to care for us when we were poor in the land, as we just read, then we should do the same. We should treat the, uh, the poor, right? If we are not the, the poor, we should treat them with this same kind of generosity and kindness, just as we would hope others would do to us. That's what Jesus means when he says that Matthew 7, 12 is the law and the prophets, right? It's summarizing this and many of the other commands in the Old Testament about how man and man should relate to one another uh, under God's law. We're essentially following the very principle that all the teaching of the law and prophets is built on here. And this is actually how Jesus answers the Pharisees in Matthew 22 when they ask him what the greatest commandment in the law is. There's 613 commands, Jesus. Which one is the most important? Which one carries the most weight? And here's what Jesus says. You can turn there if you like. Matthew 22, just as we come back to the book of Matthew. But Jesus has a great answer for them. And here's what he says, starting in verse 
36. A lawyer comes to him and asks him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and mind and strength. And this is the great and first commandment. But what does he go on to say in verse 39? And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Notice what Jesus says is the second greatest command. He's quoting Leviticus here, but what does he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is identical in substance to what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 7, 12. It's the same principle, right? It's the same thing. And Jesus tells us here too, right, in Matthew 22, that the second great commandment is what all the teaching of the law and the prophets regarding our relationship with other people is built upon. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the essence of the Old Testament law and prophets with human relationships. So Jesus does not contradict the Old Testament here. He's not teaching something different. But rather, actually, he's upholding the Old Testament law and the prophets. He's, he's drawing out the marrow, right? The, the essence of what they are teaching. He's summarizing it in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And Jesus was not alone in his, in his understanding here. This wasn't something he taught and the rest of the church just, just ignored. No, the apostles actually taught the same thing. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 13. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Notice that Paul agrees with Jesus here. He's teaching the same thing. The second great commandment, the golden rule, is the fulfillment of what the law and the prophets taught. And Paul says the same thing in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And just a few verses later, Galatians 6.2, we read, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Very clearly, Paul is teaching the same thing that Jesus is in Matthew 7.12. Out of love for our neighbor, we should love them as much as we love ourselves and do unto them accordingly. Right, this is again the essence of the law and the prophets. This summarizes, this is the basis for all of those commands about our relationship with others. And it wasn't just Paul that taught this. James, the brother of Jesus, taught it as well. Right, turn over to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 8, James chapter 2, verse 8. Here's what James writes. He says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. 
But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now James also identifies this law as being summed up in the golden rule, the second great commandment in verse 8. And I love the phrase that James uses here. He describes this as the royal law. The royal law. Why do you think he calls it that? Well, if we think about the Sermon on the Mount, where we've been for, for months, what is the main theme? What is the heartbeat of the Sermon on the Mount? It is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. The second great commandment, the golden rule, is teaching us a way to live that, in the words of one commentator, conforms to the requirements of the kingdom of God. The kingdom which is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you, to love others as yourself, is the visible and ethical rule of the kingdom of God. That's the law code regarding human relationships. That sums it all up. And, and that sounds simple, perhaps. And it is simple, but it's not simplistic. It's not simplistic. Don't fall into the trap that uh, this command, the golden rule, is really easy to get your hands around because it's so simple. Because it's not. It's not simple to do. Because it doesn't have to do ultimately with behavior, does it? It has to do with, as we just read again and again and again, love. It has to do with love. If you do something nice to your neighbor while you hate them in your heart, are you really fulfilling Jesus' command here? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that gets a gold star for the day. Right? It has to do with love. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul has said. That's what James has said. It's what the entire Old Testament says. This command, the golden rule, is only fulfilled truly through love. Why should we treat our neighbor how we want to be treated? Because that is what love and fulfilling God's law would have us do. And this love in no way depends on how others actually treat us. Our treatment of them should not be fundamentally rooted in reciprocation, but in love. Think of Christ himself. He never gave back what he got once. Ever. This is very hard for us to do, to obey the golden rule. It's very, very difficult, if we're honest. Because the golden rule embodies and requires selfless love. And that, friend, will either drive you to despair or it will drive you to Christ. Now, here's what I mean. Again, right, pull back the layers, be painfully honest with yourself. <clears throat> How well do you naturally love people the way Jesus is telling you to here? How well do you naturally do that? We don't do that well. We do it terribly. We naturally treat people as well as they treat us on a good day, right? If they treat us well, we treat them well. If they treat us poorly, Again, we're far less inclined to treat them with the same degree of kindness, patience, and love we would want for ourselves. In other words, we don't have in ourselves the kind of love that this golden rule, this command of Jesus requires. And as a result, we don't naturally follow this rule. 
right? We put it up there and then we go, yeah, that's aspirational and I don't really need to actually, right? We just don't do it well at all. And if what Jesus says is true, that the law and the prophets are summed up in this golden rule, this simple verse, and if what James says is true, that whoever fails in one part of God's law is condemned by the weight of the entire law, think for a moment, by breaking the golden rule, by breaking this command of Christ, how many other laws you're probably violating, right? How many other commands of God you're probably not fulfilling? It's more than just this one. And this means that if you've broken God's law more significantly than you realize, it means if you're going to stand before God on the merits of your own goodness, your own attempts at obedience, which, which are feeble at best, you'll be judged as a lawbreaker and condemned. And if that's the only path, right, as we look at the golden rule and we see how far we fall short of keeping it, if the only thing for us is to stand before God based on how well we've kept the golden rule, there is nothing but despair for you. Nothing but despair. Or self-deception, right? We, we tell ourselves we've kept it better than we have. But fortunately, that is not the only path here. There is a fork in the road and that other path leads us to Christ. You and I struggle to love others and to do unto them as we would have them do unto us, but not Christ. Not Jesus. Unlike you and I, Christ was the very embodiment of this selfless love. Unlike you and I, Christ did not seek to love himself first. But out of love for his Father, he loved his disciples more than himself. And it's, it's really incredible when you think about it because Jesus tells us, whatever you wish that others would do to you, that wasn't even a question for him. That wasn't even something he considered in the selfish, sinful way that we do. Christ did not walk around Nazareth and Galilee and Jerusalem going, man, I really wish these people treated me a little bit better than they are right now. He never had that thought. For him, it was not about how well others treated him. That was not the purpose of his life. That was not the priority of his heart. His priority was doing the Father's will and loving those the Father gave to him, even unto death. Amazing. He loved all the people that he encountered perfectly and selflessly, dealing with them in whatever manner would please his Father most. As Romans 15, 13 reminds us, Christ did not please himself. No, Christ simply loved his neighbor more than himself. He simply did unto others, if you will. And in this, we're brought all the way back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, where, where Jesus says to us, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them but to fulfill them. Friends, the golden rule is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and you and I will fail to fulfill it. But Christ came and was successful in fulfilling it perfectly in his life, death, and resurrection. He has not taught us something in this verse that he himself has failed to do, but he has done it perfectly. I love what Paul says about this in Philippians chapter 2. You can listen if you'd like. You can turn there, but Philippians chapter 2 just how Paul describes this work of Christ. 
Here's what Paul says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is an amazing picture of Christ fulfilling the golden rule, isn't it? Going far beyond it, in a way. Laying down his life for sinners like you and me, those who treated him poorly. You remember what he said from the cross as he was crucified? Father, get him back with vengeance? No. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's hard enough, and Christ goes so far beyond that, doesn't he? The golden rule is not a simple platitude. It's not just a throwaway phrase. It's not a moral cliche. It is the very standard of God's law for your and my relationship with others. Right? It really is the very definition, the essence of how citizens of the kingdom of heaven are to act towards other people. And it's not ultimately going to be fulfilled by you, but by Christ. And there is hope there. Because by faith in Him, we receive the righteousness that He earned in His obedience as a gift of grace. All those times you failed to obey the golden rule and will continue to fail, all those times where Jesus was successful, there's an exchange. He bore your failure to obey God's law on the cross and gave you His perfect righteousness as a gift that comes through faith. Praise God for that. And so as we walk forward, because we want to obey what Jesus has commanded us here today, right? We should. We need to realize the love that we need to follow the golden rule cannot be produced in our own hearts. The track record of our life is, is proof of that, right? We don't have the ingredients. But as Romans 5, 5 says, God can give us and does when we trust Christ a new kind of love, His own love, in fact is poured into our hearts by His Spirit. A love that surprises us at times. Somebody wrongs us and we respond with kindness and grace and we realize that was not, that was not from me. God gives His love to His people that they may obey His commands like the golden rule. But we need to depend as we sang this morning, help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. We can't white-knuckle our way through it, but we need to depend upon the grace of God and upon the love of God. So we cannot begin to follow the golden rule without, any, uh, without, without consistency or sincerity. 
But that's not going to come apart from understanding the gospel. What Jesus himself has done. We can't begin to follow the golden rule apart from knowing God through Christ and seeking to honor him above all. But what riches, what tools, what forgiveness, what an example we've been given through Christ our Lord. That as we follow in his footsteps, we would seek to love others and treat others with the same kind of selfless love and kindness God has shown us in Christ. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray.